This season of Crazy Sexy Food is sponsored by KeyJays. KeyJays is an independent family-run business that has been making speciality sauces for professional chefs and home cooks like myself since 1985. KeyJays first launched with its goldfish brand Curry Sauce Concentrates. More recently, they launched Taste KeyJays of Suffolk. Inspired by travels to wonderful destinations around the world, these are six authentic, quick and easy cook-in sauces and four Asian-inspired squeezy sauces. My particular favourites are the Spanish tomato sauce with its added paprika, as well as the Thai po chilli sauce to rev up my meals. Order my favourites as well as the whole collection from keyjayssources.co.uk. That's K-E-E-J-A-Y-S sources.co.uk. Can you hear me? I hear you great, darling. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Such a long time. I'm well. It's been a long time. I know. I mean, to be fair with you, Niall, you know the last time I went out dancing was when you were in London for the Brits and I was at your party. That was the last time my feet touched a dance floor, February 18th. So thank you for the memories. I love you have it documented. (laughs) It's it's a memory that'll live on. Listen, it's the last time I went out. I mean, I'm going to remember that date for the rest of my life. Anyway, but no, it's so good to see you. And thank you so much for doing this. And you really, I I miss you guys a lot. Hello, and welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. I'm interested not only in food, but the people behind the food and the stories behind the people. Each episode, I sit down and talk all things food with well-known personalities, industry insiders, and people who, well, just love their food. I can't quite believe I'm saying this, but today I am joined by the man who is responsible for writing the soundtrack of my youth, my adulthood. In fact, he has written the songs that have defined most of your lives. The undisputed godfather of funky jazz, disco and dance, Mr. Niall Rogers. As the co-founder of Chic, he has written, produced and performed on albums that have sold more than 500 million units worldwide. Known for his chucking guitar style, Niall and Bernard Edwards are the men behind the success of Sister Sledge, The New Sound of Diana Ross, and Niall has written and produced songs for the likes of David Bowie, In Excess, Duran Duran, Madonna and most recently, Daft Punk. He has influenced nearly every major artist you can think of. To quote Rolling Stone magazine, the full scope of Niall Rogers' career is still hard to fathom, and it's not just ongoing, it's in overdrive. In his later life, Niall was diagnosed with cancer and beat it twice. The man is not just the messiah of music, but also a survivor. And so it gives me the greatest pleasure to introduce you, Niall, to the podcast. (laughs) How are you? How are you, Hannah? I'm, <laughs> I'm okay. I mean, I guess I'm kind of surviving. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's so funny to have a friend like telling you, like like talking about you, like, um, 
He sold this. He sold that. I was like, uh, yeah, Hannah. Okay, right. Okay. I mean, the fact that you even called me a friend is I'm, I'm basically done. We can end the podcast right now as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but no, I guess I do need to thank you because I came from, you know, you know my, my parents quite well, but, you know, in my household growing up, there was a lot of music. Mm. And between my father and my two brothers, there was a lot of different genres going on. But I feel like you kind of won the gold medal. <laughs> so thank you, first and foremost. You are more than welcome. <laughs> I obviously mentioned in the intro, um, you know, you are a survivor. So how have you been getting on during this very surreal few months? Ah, surreal is exactly the right word. Um, uh, about uh, six months, I had said to Cher that it looks like we're living in a science nonfiction movie because what's going on is actually real. And, and it was the beginning of our quarantine, which has not stopped to this day. Uh, it, it's, it's bizarre when I walk around my neighborhood, um, I absorb different images that um, it, it just say a lot about what's going on in this world right now. And um, I've never seen America so fragmented, but then I've also never seen it um, so unified. It, it's, it's, it's a complete paradox. Like, um, you know, all my life I've been, um, uh, I would I won't say a victim of, but let's say I've been uh, I've encountered racism on an extraordinary level, just short of death many, many times. Um, and, and and that's just a sort of normal thing that we have to live with as as black Americans. It's just it's 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 really just as we say it's just a thing um but but right now to see the black lives matter movement and seeing so many people understanding that that thing that i've been living with all my life that they're now concerned with it too but but i'm also a little bit perplexed because so many like mega events have happened in America and it only becomes a thing for a very short new news cycle. You know, mm -hmm. our, our school, mm -hmm. school shootings here that have been outrageous and our, our mass killings and things like that, I mean, just outrageous. And they become something for a news cycle, a couple of weeks and then it goes away. Um, and so, it moves on. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just very perplexed to have this amount of information to see the world and then see nothing happen. So I, I, I don't know um, how I feel now. I'm, I am somewhat ambivalent because, um, you know, you're frustrated. You want to see change. Um, and, and this election is like, I don't know when this podcast is going to air, if it's going to be in a couple weeks. Okay, so <laughs> pre-election. So a pre-election. Okay, so this election um, uh, that's that's uh, coming up, I honestly don't know how it's going to go because I really do feel like there is uh, voter suppression. Um, 
um, I, I can feel it. I can see it. Uh, and and I, I just don't know to what degree because I'm not in all 50 states and we are victims of weaponized information or weaponized misinformation, which is incredible. So I, I don't, I, I don't know, you know, I'm sorry to go on and on. We probably talk. No, we should be, no, it's, we, no, but it's interesting. I mean, as you said, and, uh, and I actually just finished reading your book and I'm very sorry that it took me a long time to get around to it, but I read it and you kind of dabble into that side of things during it. And, you know, I feel like, and I need to ask you this, you know, is the time now? Because as you said, there's a new story. And then the following week, it becomes, as we say, sort of fish and chip wrapper, you know? <laughs> like, what is this it? Like, is this the moment that things actually do change? Because we're granted so many promises that never get fulfilled. True. And it's just un it's just unacceptable now, you know. You, you know, when you when you look at it from my point of view, and and I was there, you know, through so many, through the uh, uh, I guess the ideology of so many movements that felt like they were powerful. I I, I remember having you know friends that were older than myself. Um, uh, you know, who are at the forefront of the women's movement. And I almost think, I don't mean to make things sound light and frivolous, but I remember a friend of mine and she was a doctor. Um, and I remember her getting pregnant and she went out to get an abortion because, you know, the right to get an abortion had been passed in America. And it felt mm. to her as a young woman, so liberating. I mean, my mom, died, almost died from three coat hanger abortions. So I could easily understand how a woman who was a physician thought that this was a big liberating moment. Ah, she got pregnant. She's part of the sexual revolution. Okay, great. I'll get a, an abortion. It'll be safe and I'll go home and start partying next week with some other guys. <laughs> uh, and it was just, you know, I grew up around <laughs> that kind. No, honestly, I grew up around that kind of liberal, open-minded, bohemian mm. type of type of thinking and 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 so that's the world that I've always seen right that's so uh, I, I was just explaining to someone else that um, that as a musician when I was younger I was just a, a part of the zeitgeist I was in the moment I was in it I was at clubs every night I was partying blah, blah, blah. I knew what the next cool record was going to be. I could hear something and go, wow, what is that? We could build on, on that and come up with a new thing. I was living that life. Whereas now, um, when, I'm, when I'm working with a younger artist, like I just finished working with this genius young artist and, and as brilliant as he is as a musician, as wonderful as he is as a human being, you know, you just feel the goodness and the love coming off this dude. But then you start to talk about his concept of romance and his concept of of kindness and his concept of being socially aware and things like that. And and it's different. I mean, it's different. I I, I said to him, I said, you know, it's really funny. 
when I was younger, the concept of, of having a romantic encounter with a woman, the last thing I would think of is like slapping a woman's butt real hard. And, you know, to me, the women I grew up with, you did that, they put you in the face. Like, <laughs> like, like that's like, like, how is that sexy? Like, how has that yeah. become a thing? Like, like, that's a thing. Like, pop, pop, pop. Like, that's, that, <laughs> like, like, that's, like, that's happening. And, yeah. and I said, I said, I use that as a, as a metaphorical type of example to show you how, in my mind, there is a, somewhat of a disconnect between what I would think is a cool musical thing, and I have to be educated. So I love the fact that he could explain to me how, yeah, that is a sexy thing to certain people. And I go, okay, cool. And in that way, he can also explain. You do you, man. You do you. <laughs> that, and then he could also explain to me how, okay, and this is a sexy idea as a musical thing. And I go, really? Uh, and, you know, so yeah. I, I like being educated and I'm open-minded, but I do realize that at this point in my life, I live a certain way. Like if I go out to a club, I'm, in a strange way, I'm actually more interested in talking and learning about a person than running out to the dance floor. I've been dancing all my life. I just bought a new pair of roller skates yesterday. I cannot wait. Uh, Are you kidding? No. Do you roller skate? Oh man, I roller skate my a off. <laughs> oh, oh, you yeah. can swear on this podcast, by the way. Oh, right. I ro- well, then I roller skate my ass off. I'm sixty. I'm sixty-eight oh, years my... old, and I roller skate my ass off. Because I'm so impressed. Th- no, there are certain there are certain muscle memory type of activities that I do that that I think that I do them if I can speak in terms of degrees. Maybe it's one or two degrees down. Um, from when I was a teenager. Like if we played ping pong, you know, table tennis, whatever yeah, you want to call it, yeah. I will kick your ass. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm actually, not, I'm not even going to fight you on that one because uh, my ping pong game is pretty shocking. No, mine But is, I'd probably beat you at tennis. I'm not so sure about that. Oh, okay. All right now. Well, maybe you, to, maybe you, to... you might be when able to... We, when we reconnect one day, we're okay, going to have to have a little okay, game. Okay, Hannah. Okay. <laughs> now you remember, remember this is on tape and you said it, right? I'm, I'm I know. I realize what I'm doing here. I'm 68. And I will, okay. I'm, I, and I will tell you right now, I, I'm so old school. I still hit with a one-handed backhand, and that shit, will, <laughs> that shit will come flying across the court faster than you could ever imagine. <laughs> with more, All right, we'll more, see about that. More we'll top, see about that. More topspin than you could ever imagine. I'll see you on the court. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so I just want to bring it back just for a moment okay. to food. You sort of mentioned a little bit about your childhood. So you were born in New York and you spent a lot of time back and forth, coast to coast between there and California. Mm-hmm. Um, and that time of your life, sort of how you've written about it, it was it was a it was a difficult one. You, you know, there was this whole like, I feel like you never really felt settled. I knew I could tell that there was a lot of love. But there was this kind of this traveling and this never really knowing where home was. You know, right. how was that time for you? 
Well, well, my childhood was extremely nomadic. My my parents were heroin addicts, and the 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 horrible byproduct of of uh, that type of opioid addiction is that it it there's not only the the actual art of <laughs> the art of getting high the 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 getting high procedure there's the procurement of the drugs there's there's a whole thing there's a whole mm-hmm. multiphasic thing that happens it's the copying it's a you know how long it takes to get it which it's like a ritual oh it is and and it's interesting to me because i watched it all my life that that becomes part of the high if you will the pursuit the the um uh the the uh, the attaining the 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 ritual the cutting the cooking the that the works the tying the that, mm. you know i mean the, it was a thing so it wasn't like 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 heroin just magically appeared in my mom's hand and they would just take it and shoot it no 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 yeah so so even though they were incredibly loving the 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 downward spiral that they were falling into and were becoming more and more uh, uh you know junkies they would spend much more time in the pursuit of that thing than they did parenting however the parenting was cool because my parents were phenomenal art lovers phenomenal intellectuals i mean they were just they were so cool they were on the cutting edge of everything if there was a new type of revolution if there was a sexual revolution it was the whatever i mean we played you know the most difficult board game in the world i learned how to play at you know nine or ten years old i i learned to play go which is a japanese board game and it's considered the hardest game in the world and and i uh i played go at a really early age i was I wasn't a chess master, but pretty good. Um, so I did all these adult things because there were no kids around, right? I mean, jazz musicians didn't really have kids. <laughs> they, they, and they weren't, my parents weren't musicians, but they were in the beatnik scene. So, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, uh, if you think about my mom as being a young black woman, you know, she was sort of on the cutting edge of interesting next-gen technology she was an ibm key punch operator how many people had that job and there certainly weren't any black ones well my mom was one um but you know we 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 just moved around a lot because uh unfortunately when they spend all their money on drugs uh you couldn't pay rent and though new york had a really great um uh safety clause like you can get away with not paying your rent for three months before they can evict you (laughs) they had we had some yeah we had like squatter laws which was awesome you know but still eventually we get kicked out and have to move and so i never had um i never went to the same school uh until i could control my own destiny and i controlled my own destiny when i was around 15 or 16 years old when i ran away from home and um you know, I was self-sufficient. 
And during your childhood, who was cooking? Like, were you making meals yourself? Was your mum cooking? Like, what, what, what was the food? Now, was there any time to eat? Now we're talking. <laughs> so here's the cool thing about my childhood. So the most consistent periods that resembled anything like now normal home life was spent with my paternal grandmother because she was sharp she was from the islands she was from barbados and um she was like cooler than cool i mean she was a lindy hopper she could uh, she could read and write in latin i mean so there's a wow. devout catholic so she she was like like a sex bomb cool awesome woman on one level and then she was this devout catholic like she was a tale of two cities wrapped in one woman but she could cook like you couldn't believe and because she did um all of these type of uh domestic she had these domestic skills so she was a terrific cook she could knit so i learned how to knit as a child i mean like people used to make wow. fun of me it's like, yo, is your boy gay? Like, no, he just knows how to knit. Uh, and like, I could, I you know, that. oh yeah, like I could knit and do pearl stitches and all sorts of stuff, cable stitches, um, you know, yeah. like everything. I mean, it was like a whole thing. I could so make can you can you sort of like fix up clothes that have like got ripped? Oh and my like god, that? are you kidding me? I might send a few things your way. No, don't do that. No, 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 <laughs> no. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, what's really funny is being a professional musician on the road people laugh you can probably look uh somewhere in my facebook post somewhere or instagram uh people think that my life is is glamorous that i laugh and i say well you know what i do after a show i go home and i hand wash all my clothing I, do you oh yes that because i i, I really like that well th i mean there's a shot it actually looks like an art installation um, Karl Lagerfeld used to make all my shirts for me and uh, and I cherish these shirts because I have you know maybe 50 or 60 of them but you know now he's gone and who's going to make them I mean I guess I can get someone mm. else to copy them but I, I really cherish them so after every show I would uh, go into my hotel room fill up the sink take very very mild soap and wash them and hang them up and there's a great scene of, of my room because I had let a few of them uh, fester or in my luggage for a few days. Oh, no. <laughs> so I had to watch four or five of them one night. And it was like this cool-looking art installation. It's like two white ones with a black one in the middle and then two white ones over there and or three white ones. It was something cool-looking. And they were all at different degrees of drying in front of the vent of the air conditioning vent in my room uh and that and that's what i do so i'm a really good cook uh i really know how to take care of fabrics um i have suits that were made for me um uh you, you, you i mean you know custom made suits that are silk suits that i wash by hand in water they still look brand spanking Beautiful. new versace um made this beautiful red silk suit for me that I still wear to this day. And people think that it's brand new, but it's because I wash it gently in water, I hang it up. 
you really respect your belongings your like i i get that sense from you in general yeah you're quite meticulous in that way yeah and i even see that in your music but anyway let's just get back to the food otherwise we are just never gonna get yeah yeah we'll never we're gonna do the food and then we're gonna get back to the music okay so 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 my so tell me about your grandmother so my grandmother and her cooking skills uh, so the her west indian style of cooking um dominated my childhood uh, because not only did uh, she teach me to cook, it was part of our bonding process. Um, she was a wee bit jealous of the fact that I just adored my mother and wanted to be around my mother all the time. My mom is an okay cook. Eh. She cooks like American mother stuff, but my yeah. my grandmother cooks West Indian righteous, you know, jerks you know oh, stuff fabulous. And, and fabulous yes. oh but she makes incredible stews she taught me how to make this wonderful dish called dish called fungi she would say bye i gotta teach you how to make fungi uh, so <laughs> so <laughs> so i you know i could i could make fungi i i love okra i love all these tell me what tell me what fungi is because i actually do know what it is but a lot of people so, might not. so fungi is basically uh well see with my grandmother she she was flamboyant so uh so fungi was basically i guess a cornmeal based kind of uh product so i guess people would liken it to something like um in america we eat this breakfast cereal called cream of wheat and in europe we we have um uh, oh come on um uh you know come on come on come on the cornmeal is it a bit like um it's a bit like a polenta yeah polenta polenta of... yes yes yes, yeah. yes yes sorry sorry polenta dude i'm having a senior moment <laughs> so it's like polenta but but what my grandmother would do is when she would make fungi she was very keen on on um on stews and uh because we were rather poor so whatever ingredient we had she would find a way of putting it into some kind of stew. So she would make fungi to have some kind of um, uh, carbohydrate type of substance to hold it together instead of uh, potatoes, because potatoes were some, somewhat boring, but she would mm -hmm. spice it up really nice. And, uh, and so we had an affinity for um, fish stews, and that's what I'm really good at, fish stews, or any type of pasta dish i'm a i'm a real fanatic with uh cooking with cream and butter um when i lived in italy for a while i was very very poor and my italian friends showed me how to make phenomenal pasta with no money with just bread uh a little bread a uh, little olive oil salt pepper and, um, and this is why I love Italian food because it is it, the produce is so good that you actually don't need to do much to it. Give me right. some bread and tomatoes and olive oil, and I'm very happy. And you got and you're good to go. <laughs> and if you were lucky enough to have some cheese, oh my God! I mean, sure, why not? Uh, one one night, uh, I, I I cooked for Oprah Winfrey and her best friend Gail, Gail King, and I and I made um, uh, uh, salsa forte. And uh, oh, wow. they, they to this day, um, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> to this day, if you ever hear uh, 
if you ever get the opportunity to meet Oprah or Gail, say, what's the best pasta you've ever had in your life? They'll look at you and say, now no. Rogers, salsa forte. <laughs> and tell me, when you're cooking your pasta, are you cooking it al dente, like the Italians cook it? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, he's oh, nodding yes. his head. Oh, oh yes. And, and, and the key... The key to great pasta, uh, at least the way my friend Bruno taught me, was that, you know, Americans, when, when we make pasta, we take it and we put it in a colander and then we drain off all the water and blah, 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 so like that. Italians go, whoa, hold on a second. No, 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 no. Put olive oil in the bottom of the pot and then pour that pasta back in there. Damn right. <laughs> and also keep a little bit of that pasta water. Absolutely. That's like that's like the nectar that brings it all together. That that was the, that was their whole point. Do not like let it all drain yeah. out. Put totally. olive oil in the bottom of the pot and before you drain it all out, now pour that back in and then now you have this wonderful, you know, they always say oil and water doesn't mix well it mixes pretty cool in pasta (laughs) and then and then we start adding um whatever type of ingredients that we have that are close by and 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 the the real key to these type of dishes for me um has always been fresh vegetables the more that you can get fresh or and actually fresh anything but fresh vegetables if you uh, can incorporate them into the to the reduction, when you first start to reduce anything that you're making, all of a sudden the pasta and all of that other stuff starts to take on those wonderful flavors. So my grandmother taught me about reduction early on in my life. She would take stuff and she would have it simmering all day long. And that would be the sauce that she would pour on the and and at this time though, were you actually interested in learning about it? You didn't feel like it was a chore. You were like, "This is cool." I no, like this. it wasn't cool. It was just that was what I had to do. I was, yeah, it was. Fine. I had no choice. But I appreciated it later on because I was very very poor um, when I became a professional musician, and and I had to eat whatever I could. So I had to learn how to. It's, it's funny, in my family, they used to call it stretching. Whatever we had, <laughs> had to become a meal. And, um, and we would learn how to take ingredients and somehow make them into a meal. And I would invite mm-hmm. people over and they would think that it was really good. Uh, I learned how to, to buy very, very inexpensive wine and find... Uh, uh, you, you know, you just learn about this stuff. You, you'd have people teach you that there were cheap wines that you could buy that even people who were very uh, had very sophisticated palates would say, wow, this wine goes great mm. with this pasta. I mean, honestly, I remember many of my friends coming over from Europe and being incredibly impressed with the meals that I would make for them. And they had no idea that it was like gallo hearty burgundy <laughs> that had a... <laughs> had a screw off top yeah it was like i don't know if you've got this in america but we've got like a really cheap wine brand called like jacob's creek right and it's like it's sort of just one of those really generic you can get it in a supermarket right yeah yeah. four or five pounds whatever it does the job it does the job i'm i am telling you people would come (laughs) over and of course i take it out of the original like gigantic (laughs) bottle 
and, and you know decant it and so they you know we create a lovely ritual and um and it tasted good it had a lot of body to it it was yeah and same thing with with um with learning how to how to make reductions learning how to you know to take wonderful vegetables like okra and tomato and and make these fantastic reductions with great olive oil and just turn them into these wonderful sauces and man you add cheese to that you get the right cheese game and over game completely <laughs> over <laughs> and so we and so do you make a lot of this west indian food nowadays i don't have time uh but i have uh an extraordinary cook uh she's hungarian and she's got um a, a unique sense for learning about spices and how spices react and the effect that they have they're they're like chemicals the way that spices Mm. can can turn something that is just mediocre into something extremely interesting um she's got that gift so i can tell her well uh i want to have um onions okra tomato oh you know now i'm growing my own vegetable now i got time right so i have a i have a whole big yeah what are you growing so at this particular time right now, I'm growing uh, cherry tomatoes, and I seem to have a lot of them. Uh, the animals in my backyard have been stealing them for a long time. So I got this fake snake, this fake like python that at first worked. Now the animals just run right over top of him because oh, no. he, yeah, he has no smell or anything. But at first you look at it and go, whoa, this is serious. But anyway, so I, I'm growing cherry tomatoes. I'm growing hot peppers, lots and lots of different varieties of peppers. That's the key. I, I like spicy Always. food. So Me I ha- too. So I, I have, love spicy food. Yeah, so I have uh, cherry tomatoes. I have um, uh, lar- larger tomatoes. I actually forget the name of the ones that I got. But I got, they're pretty exotic. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I have them right downstairs. I, I pick them a little early and, and let them ripen inside of a paper bag with uh, avocados, which works really well. Nice. Uh, works. Kyle, you're kind of like I'm like very impressed right now. I'm sort of like, is there anything that you can't do? He's good at cooking. He's good at making music. Like, damn. Yeah, so it's working really well. So I'm gonna make. <laughs> he's good at ping pong, apparently. <laughs> oh, extremely good. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna make a salad for lunch today, and I already have. I already know what's going in the salad. I uh, I saved. Um, a little bit of a an, an onion, okra, tomato. Um, um, oh God, what are the longer peppers? The oh man, I'm having so many like senior. A, like a like a like a sweet pepper. Yeah, well, it's it like it's it's got a bit of a, a it, it's semi tart. They they're considered sweet, but they actually do they 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 are a, a wee bit tart and hot. Um, I'll, I'll think of the name of them. They're, they're the long ones. The guys about this long, green. We'll get that. We'll get I'll, that. I'll write you. A, I'll write you an email. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> okay. so I, I so those peppers are now. Um, I've added them to my little reduction that I made about four or five days ago. Uh, here's something that maybe people will disagree with, but I'm just going to throw this out to you. So. Uh, 
the way that uh, food decomposes is, um, you know, smaller organisms start to eat away at them, right? So that's how the food goes rotten, right? So at a certain point in time, that food to me becomes really open to be invaded by other flavors. So the what I'm getting ready to cook today, I've been, I actually made about five days ago and I've left it out on the counter uh, decomposing somewhat. And today is the last day it's gonna be edible. So do you kind of like fermented foods? Do you like kimchi? I love yeah, kimchi. So, okay, so we're very much on the same page. I that sort of stuff I love like sauerkraut, kimchi. Yes. Anything that's like fermented, a yes. bit sort of as you said tart. Yeah. Vinegary. Yep. Anything pickled. You're on yeah. it. I've I've joined yeah. Yeah, right right <laughs> now you're describing what's exactly in my refrigerator yeah. right now. Can I now. also just say do you know how good that stuff is for you? It is so good because it carries that bacteria is all the good bacteria. So good for your gut health. Hmm. Very, very good for you. Well, I certainly know it's good for my palate. <laughs> <laughs> Just touching quickly back on your childhood, you know, I mentioned and, and you've mentioned that you were sort of back and forth between the east and west coast. What was the difference like in your diet between those two parts of America? Um, I don't have a, a great vision and memory for that because um so you know about the really super nomadic childhood i had so one day i could be with my mom for about three or four days R literally within a week i'm with a completely different group of people who were friends of the family sometimes they were aunt or uncles but a lot of times they were just my mother's friends that probably owed them a favor because they gave them drugs and they couldn't pay and I would stay with them for a week or two or three. Um, uh, so food wasn't a huge part of my childhood memory. Uh, the one thing that I do remember, which is a phenomenal memory, is my stepfather is, is Jewish. And uh, as a weekend ritual, uh, he's not practicing Jewish. He's like, the least Jewish Jewish person you ever met. Yeah, like uh, my dad. Yeah, like like <laughs> like like you know like like they say naughty by nature. He's Jewish by yeah. nature. So Literally. yeah, on yeah. The, on the weekends we would um, we would go for a pastry called Charlotte Russe, and uh, I guess they were named after the czars, uh, one of his daughters or something like that. Anyway, this was a big deal. So we used to go uh, to this special uh, Jewish neighborhood in, in uh, New York to uh, get Charlotte's, Charlotte Roos on the weekend. And, um, and one time we were headed there. You probably haven't gotten to this part in the book yet. Um, I finished the book. Oh, you did? So you, oh, did, yeah. Is, did, I, did I leave out the Senator Kennedy story where uh, Senator Kennedy was running for president? And yeah, he, he wound up he wound up staying in a hotel that was right near our house. And we actually we outed him. We told uh, where he was staying that night. And they've now put that in the Kennedy Museum and they've given us credit. No way. Totally. You did way. miss that out in the book. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
that's a really big part. It's, it's big. I was really proud. Uh, you go to the to the John Kennedy Museum up in uh, in Massachusetts, and it says that that story uh, was um, uh, curated or given to whatever they call that at a museum. Uh, by uh, I, I gave my father the main credit. Um, but by Robert Glansrock and Nile Rodgers, and it's and no it's way. because they used to track his whereabouts, and um, and we now know that uh, John Kennedy um, fancied um, uh, the uh, the opposite sex a bit. So uh, <laughs> 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 we said, well, that night when he was campaigning, this is where he slept, and I know the hotel because. So I want to fast forward quite a bit now. Um, you've met Bernard, you formed Chic. Um, in hindsight, your success was was overnight. Did it feel like that at the time? Once again, you, you, you really have to go back and deal with this on a sort of scientific level. When you're younger and you have a faster metabolism, time seems to, to move slowly. So from the time that I met Bernard Edwards uh, until the time that we developed Chic and got a record deal, well, I had many adventures. I was working for Sesame Street. I worked for the Apollo. Bernard became the band leader of a group called New York City. We had a hit record that went, I'm doing fine now, bit, 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 without you, baby. So we gigged, we we gigged on that record for two years. So the Pasadenas did not do that record first. They covered it. We were the first ones. New York City did that first. So that uh, record wound up um, leading me to buy the guitar that's called the Hitmaker, my famous guitar now, in 1973. And we were the opening act for the Jackson Five on their very first world tour. Uh, So that's how long it took so it took from 1973 when I bought that Fender Stratocaster until 1977, 76. Now, once again, put it in perspective. When you're young, yeah. three or four years is an eternity. It feels mm. like a lifetime. Um, so it felt like it took us forever, as a matter of fact. And I know I did talk about this in the book. Bernard and I made a death pact. And we took all the money that we had accrued up until that point and said, we're just going to dump it all into this concept called Chic, which wasn't called Chic. It was the Big Apple Band. And uh, and we said, if we don't make it, because this is all the money we have in the world, that's it. We're going to hold hands together and we're going to jump off the George Washington Bridge together. Fortunately, it was a number one record. I was about to say, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, during the years of Chic, during the years of creating music that has, you know, changed and inspired and affected so many people's lives in such a good way, you know, you're very open about your addictions through the years. Um, and I wondered if the drugs, the alcohol, sort of this rock and roll lifestyle, do you feel like it was a part of the component that sort of made the music that you were making? I, I just think that the drugs and the partying and all that sort of stuff was just 
part of my life because I was so shy. I couldn't, I still had the same intellectual ideas. It was just hard for me to share them with people. So I was afraid, but uh, you know, they, in uh, AA they call alcohol confidence in a bottle. And that's, that's what it did. It gave me the confidence to share it, but it didn't give me the, the intelligence um, to create it. It wasn't, you know, like when we talk about things like LSD and being mind expanding and mind altering, it, I, I did have those type of feelings, but I don't necessarily uh, uh, equate them to creativity save for a couple of special moments. So it, it, the artistic things that happened as a result of taking acid were things that just sort of happened. It could have, the same thing could have happened if I had been hit by a car. Um, at least that's how I feel. I don't think that it gave me any kind of magical insight, but it did um, open my mind to other things. And I, and I think that a lot of that had to do with the time that I lived in and the fact that I had parents who were heroin addicts, who were beatniks, who were always into what's the next cool thing? What's the next cool thing? So in a certain way, I was a, a follower in a way. I was like a lemming. Like if there's a new cool thing to be into, let's explore that. Um, by the time I was 17 or 18, all of these new philosophies had come along, which no one had even heard of before. Things like Scientology, Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism, blah, blah, blah. I could still recite that stuff like as if it was yesterday. Um, and not that I ever really got into any of that, but it was a fad. So I did it for a couple of months, <laughs> you know. And what was, what was your diet like during these years? Ah, that was interesting because I had my, <laughs> my macrobiotic phase. I, I was serious about that for a minute. Talk to me about that because that's the first, you, I mean, this is obviously not a conversation about the book, but it's actually the first time you mentioned food in your book is talking about your macrobiotic diet. So yeah. explain to me what a macrobiotic diet is. I don't have an idea. I just <laughs> went to, I went to the restaurant and they said we were eating macrobiotic food. I was like, okay, cool. I, it's to do with like Buddhism and sort of like yeah, yeah, yeah. what you can't, like it's like balancing the yin and the yang. Exactly. And like, yeah, and they had the symbol that. over the restaurant. And <laughs> yeah. it was like, you know, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, I I never got into the science part of it, and you know whatever it was, it's just that it, if it was on the menu and it sounded interesting, I said okay, give me that, and if it was affordable, uh, yeah. give me that. So I did the whole macrobiotic thing, but once again. It was all part of uh, of a movement. It was part of being in with this sort of hip jazz fusion hippie crowd that was transitioning from flower power into um, you know Hare Krishnas or Scientologists or whatever cult stuff was going on, and and I really have to say this, and I. Uh, God, I hate to admit this, but almost every one of those things was because I was following a really cute girl. <laughs> Some girl talked me into something and I was like, okay, you know, like, 
That, I mean, that's what it was. I mean, I don't think that's a bad thing to admit. I think we've all been there. It's, it's, it's part of growing up and, you know, impressing others and, you know. And, and I, I've, I've done it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, well, you're, you're like gorgeous. But I'm just saying that for me, I, it, it, these were always girls that felt like they were out of my league. So I was, I was just impressed with the fact that they liked me. And, and so I was all too willing to try and get into what they were into. Um, the the Nichiren Choshu Buddhism girl turned in, you know, that's what they call shakabukuing. So somebody shakabukued me and I was like, okay, great. Nam yo ho nam yo ho renge, shosho ho noze, sho noze, riki noze, ta noze. I mean, like, I'm, I was like down, like, wow. let's go. <laughs> and then, um, then and, you know, um, uh, it, it was just a thing. I, I didn't realize at the time that, um, you know, I mean, I, I was in the primal therapy. I mean, like every every little fatty thing, I would do it. And I would do it sort of wholeheartedly for about a month or two. And then after I realized that the girl didn't really dig me, that was like sort of her job to bring people in. I was like, oh, this is, this is oh, All right. come on. Oh, so okay. I, On to the I next move one. On. Uh, yeah, right. So when you look at my career and you can see that I was into ballet, all these things, every last one of those things, everything was because some girl said, wow, you'd be a really good ballet dancer. Really? Why don't you come to my school? <laughs> Did you actually go and do the ballet class? I loved it. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, yeah. brilliant. I didn't know that. I love that. <laughs> I have to ask you, what is your favorite Sheik song? Uh, I, I think um, the favorite Sheik song, if you really want to call it that, is Good Times. And because it was so political, it was the last hit that we'd ever really have. It was, you know, some people say it was the beginning of commercial hip hop, the foundation of hip hop. Um, I don't know if I say that um, because we certainly didn't think of it like that. I, you know, I don't like to take credit for something that someone does with my work after the fact. They, they deserve the credit for that. I wrote good times. <laughs> I didn't write Rapper's Delight. I wrote good times. But <laughs> you how do you, so how do you feel when you hear other artists sampling your music? Because when I was growing up, as I said in the intro, you know, I was growing up especially with one of my brothers, Sam, you know, he was a huge hip hop fan. So I was growing up to Biggie and Puffy and, and Faith Evans and all these people. And they were so all my songs. Like, and they were all your songs, but I didn't know that at the time. So as I'm getting older and I'm listening to these songs and then suddenly I hear the original and then I'm like, hold on, this person's <laughs> taken Biggie's track. And then I'm like, no, hold on. You need to educate yourself, Hannah. Biggie has taken Niall's track. Yeah. <laughs> You know, how does that feel as an artist? You know, you've put your blood, sweat and tears into something so incredible. See, at, at first I was offended because I thought to myself, you know, it took me years to learn how to write good times. It took me years to develop friendships where I could have half of the people in the New York Philharmonic come and play on my record for a single scale. Um, and uh, and then let me double them without charging. Uh, it, it took relationships. It took, I mean, 
It took growing up as a New Yorker. It took being open. It took being altruistic. It took love. It took all that stuff, you know, way beyond the 10,000 hour rule. Uh, it took being a, a human being that they liked, that they wanted to teach, that they wanted to help. People were, that's the world I grew up in. We wanted to help each other. That's why on our records, you see, we're all, we're all helping each other. How do, I, how do I get the Brecker brothers on a chic record and I'm an unknown guy? How do I do that? Um, because we all wanted to help each other succeed. Um, so when I first heard Rapper's Delight, I actually thought that uh, a, a band had gone in and just copied our thing and the DJ was just using that to entertain the people live. Look, we used to do that. I will be 100% honest. We would copy records and we would make long breakdowns so that the DJs could go to the bathroom and they could go and do whatever they had to do and they would yeah. put our reel-to-reel -reel on and they would pay us. So we actually made a living uh, doing that sort of thing. So the first time I heard Rapper's Delight, I thought that's what it was. Then when I saw the DJ standing at the bar having a drink with a girl, I'm like, that, that, how, how are you doing that? There's talking going on. I thought that was you talking. It was like, no, 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 that's on the record. The record? What do you mean a record? And I go and I see the label and I go, where's my name? Um, and then that led to a whole thing. And so I was in this sort of very negative space about people, uh, you know, stealing, if you will, or procuring my music without my permission for some time until I went on a panel. This was so incredible and life-changing. And do you know that to this day, we are best friends? I went on a panel with Public Enemy and they said to me, Niall, don't you realize that they've cut school? They've cut music out of school programs. They've cut art out of school programs. They've cut all of these things out of school programs. Don't you know if they taught us how to read music that we play instruments and we do that, but we're musical people. So we take whatever we have and we create music out of it. Just like my grandmother would take whatever vegetables she had and would make food out of it. And it was like, wow, it just hit me that this is what we do. We, we are survivalists, right? We, we have to learn how to survive with whatever mm. we have. And then what happens is that we become creative. So these things that we have that are just meant for grassroots survival basics now become art and become lovely, great dishes that you can impress people with. And like I said, these guys would come to my house and eat and I'd have the cheapest wine and they would think this was like a fantastic gourmet meal. Um, and that's really what hip hop was. They would take these elements as a matter of fact, the way they explained it to me in the old days, they said that the name explains what we do. We take something hip and we hop on it. We take something hip and we hop on it. And we take these ingredients and we mix them together and boom, we have a song. They said, man, if I could play like you, I'd be playing guitar, but I can't. I don't know music, but I know that I love music. So I take the music that I love and I then mash it together into something new. And I went, wow. And wow. when they explained it to me like that, we're like this. You look at my 
Twitter account every day. Like last night, Chuck D sent me an entire album of like 20 songs. Wow. And I wrote him back and I said, Chuck, I love this, brother. This sounds amazing. That's incredible. I also didn't realize that the, um, the, the, the background of the word hip hop. Yeah. That's really interesting. You take something like hip that. and you hop on it. I like that. In recent years, and there is a very big demographic now of a slightly younger generation below me who probably were introduced to you when you put your magic onto Daft Punk's Random Access Memories. Get Lucky was obviously one of the biggest uh, UK selling singles of all time. When you're in the studio, you guys are all jamming, it's all coming together. Do you know in that moment when you've created a major hit and I know you talk about this very important saying called this deep hidden meaning which mm -hmm. I think is really important um do you yeah do you feel in that moment that like yeah we've got we've got a goddamn record here like this is it no you know what I felt you know what I felt we were having fun we were having the time of our lives when I looked over at Tomas' face and I could just see that smile, I was like, wow, we're having a really great time. This is so much fun. That, that's what I thought. I didn't think about a hit. That's their job to worry about a hit and marketing and all that stuff. It was my job to go in there and be a part of an experience to create something that they had a vision for and can I help them actualize that vision? That's that's what my job was. And when I saw the smile on his face, I said, "Oh, I did it. We're cool." Uh, you know that that's that's what it was. You know that I I only spent one day working on that record and only a few hours, and I got three songs on the album. The only person that has three three songs on the album because I didn't work Insane. to make a hit i i worked to have fun <laughs> we were having yeah. fun so after we had fun on that they went hey man what can you do to this they gave me another song and they were like wow that's great we're having fun what do we do to this and i was like guys i gotta leave and that was it that's why <laughs> like, and do you still do you still apply your deep hidden meaning ethos to the music that you're still creating today even more than ever now because really? yeah because i i think i explained this to you at the beginning that my life is not about the the party and the, the high and the experience on that level because that, those experiences are not new that that's not new to me what's new is like what you and i are doing which is talking about mm. real life in the old days what was new was like somebody came into my life and was like hey well man you want to have some microbiotic food like that was like wow, <laughs> what what is that? Oh man, just come with me, man, and we're gonna go over to like the, this this restaurant, man, called the Pyramid, and it's like really far out. Okay, great, let's. That that was amazing. That that was new. So what's what's new to me now is you know like talking about the world and what the hell is going on and how could we be in the midst of a, a international pandemic? How could we have a president? who um, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm gonna just call it the way I see it. And, and I can tell you for a fact, uh, I've had many a conversation with uh, 
the Donald well before he became president. I mean, you can find pictures of he and I all over the internet. And let me tell you, we were not talking about higher level math. When I realized, when I realized that, that he had no idea what non-Euclidean geometry was, let alone plane geometry. And I thought to myself, you call yourself a builder? You are not, oh, I guess that's the new definition of a builder. You're not an architect. You're, you're the guy who hires the people who understand mathematics, who understand plane yeah. geometry, who understand you know, about angles and weight distribution and blah, blah, blah. And this and that, you hire them. Oh, I get it. So what were you guys talking about? Bull, bull. Like <laughs> he, he, he would only talk about how, how smart he was and how great of a deal oh. that he had just pulled off or something. See, uh, when, when I was younger, I, I had uh, a couple of girlfriends um, who were, I guess, pretty... Um, yeah, I guess sort of notable, uh, you know, in the newspapers and stuff like that. I, like I, that was never who I was. Like I, I, I like being in the background. But I went out with a couple of girlfriends who were titled. Um, I went out with the Crown Princess of Yugoslavia, um, and he liked to be around royalty. And 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 her sister was in a super famous American television. I mean, maybe the number one show at the time. So, you know, like he liked to be seen with people who are famous and, and, you know, it was really funny because I talk about this. I know I talk about this in my book because I remember so many times where if I were with Keith Richards or somebody like that, and then he would come and sit at the table, somehow we'd all wind up in the bathroom because he, he didn't do drugs or anything like that. Right. So we'd all, we'd all wind up in the bathroom and just leave him. Leave, leave the Donald sitting there by himself <laughs> because he, he, he'd want to take pictures like, uh, oh, last night I was out with the Rolling Stones and, and, um, oh, and, and Russell Simmons and, you know, and P, <laughs> and P Diddy and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we're like, okay, really? No, we're all in the bathroom. So and we're yeah. having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, get me as far away from this dude as I can get. Yeah. Yeah. You're telling me. I wanted to ask you during um, the difficult time during your cancer treatment, how did food play a part during that part of your life? Um, that was really peculiar because I, there's a huge disconnect in America between nutrition and healthcare when it comes to the higher level um, healthcare, like so, when when you're dealing with cancer in in America, there are a couple of institutions that are world famous. They're known for the place that you go. But it's really interesting uh, when you see my recovery and you see the first meals that they're giving me. Now I'm a diabetic. I was a diabetic before I had cancer, and they're giving me stuff that's like got sugar in it and artificial ingredient and i'm like like what are you didn't doing you, didn't you read on my chart that like that's gonna you know so in other words the food was hideous when i got out of the hospital i went back to my normal diet and uh my normal diet is incredibly um i not only heart healthy but i was born quite sickly 
So I was born with uh, polycystic organs. So I've had, um, you know, kidney cancer. I thought I had cut my phones off, but I, I was born with what you said is recorded so we can wait till the phone stops ringing. I know who that is. That's the political parties uh, calling for donations. But anyway. Anyway, uh, so you we, uh, let's go from um, from you were sickly as a child. Mm-hmm. That's what you were saying to me. So so um, so uh, I was, you know, raised in oxygen tents and, and blah blah blah. So it, it's interesting that um, after I was being or while I was being treated for cancer the the cuisine was like the worst stuff in the world the thing that was maybe uh, the 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 best part of my life in the hospital i guess i'm a rule breaker i just can't help it that's how i was raised so to be able to send my lawyer out to go get like really cool food and i'm lying in bed and you imagine so even though i had a private room um you you open the door and the the aroma is gonna go flying, gonna go flying out the door. And, I love that. What and, was he bringing you? Oh, you name it. I, I mean, you know, just and anything I want. Whatever wanted. you fancy. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. And plus, because uh, my attorney is somewhat of a gourmet himself, he he loves food. He's just insane about food. And we were friends with lots of you know great maitre d's around New York City. And so when they would find out. Oh, Niles in the hospital. Oh, hold on. We'll have the chef make him so and so, and and oh, don't worry. My driver will bring it over. And and it's it's so funny because um, these these friendships are actually grassroots friendships. They're not like even though they're fancy restaurants. These are people I've known since I was a child. We went to high Absolutely. school together, and they wind up working for you know you know Balud and you know all these great you know. Michelin star chefs and stuff, but I've known them since we were kids playing in the, you know, <laughs> in the playground. Exactly. Where um, where are some of your favorite restaurants in New York? So now things have changed considerably, and I am so I've become uh, because a lot of the places that were institutions are now gone. Uh, there are new places popping up in my life. So right now there's a restaurant that's called, uh, I believe it's called The Smith or Smith's. Now, I'm probably getting it wrong. It's probably called The Smith because Smith's was actually B. Smith's restaurant and she's just passed away. So um, it's called The Smith. It's right near my house, which is near Lincoln Center. Uh, very sort of culturally rich neighborhood. And there are all there are lots of new mom and pop joints opening up because they've just passed a law in New York that they've allowed sidewalk dining. So New York is starting yeah. to look a lot like Italy. New York is looking a little I bit. I kind of quite like it. We've got that in London as well, and I, I do like that kind of outdoor al fresco way of eating. Yeah, but, like in I mean, Paris. We've probably got about three weeks left of it before it's going to be too cold. Yeah, yeah. 
But like Paris, <laughs> Paris is like that. It's awesome, yeah. right? You walk down the street in Paris and you see, you just walk down the street and, and you, you know, your best friend goes, hey, Niall, how you doing? It's like, whoa, what are you doing here? And you're on the smallest little street in the world. You think you don't know anybody. And there's a person there and there's like the greatest restaurant in the world. And so that's what's going on now in New York. I'm finding new places. Uh, here where my recording studio is up in Westport, Connecticut, um, they say that Norwalk, Connecticut is probably the most diverse community in all of Connecticut. So um, we have a huge Mexican, Indian, Asian population. So we have exotic restaurants all over the place and Uber Eats is now ruling so oh, yeah. so every day I'm, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like trying a new one. Um, so for the last three days, because I've just told you about my philosophy of letting food decompose and then using that as my reduction for some other things. So I uh, so three days ago, I uh, I, I bought um, uh, Palak paneer. You know, you guys know that in England. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. I Indian food rules in England. Oh, yeah. So, it's like our national dish, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. No, actually, uh, Jalfrezi is your national dish, right? How, why, why do you know more than I do? <laughs> well, it, it was actually invented in England or something. But, but anyway. But so anyway, so, so I got uh, this Palak Paneer. And this particular restaurant, they, they make it. Uh, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's just a bit too thick. So what I do is I add a little water, and then um, this is this is a really funny little secret. Uh, have you ever cooked with what they call fish sauce, which is Thai? Love it. Oh, okay, great. Love it. Great. So another take... one of those kind of slightly off tart right. sort of flavors right. that we like here mm -hmm. yeah so what i did was i went in my little garden got some some of my little cherry tomatoes and my god what are, what are those peppers called what are those stupid things called uh, <laughs> anyway so i got the peppers you know diced it up really small let let just scooped out a little bit of the palak paneer put it in there and then now let it blend together and just sort of decompose a little bit and then, you know, just warm it and let it just simmer and turn it into a reduction. So now I've created a sauce that I don't know what the hell to call it, but it really tastes That sounds good. incredible. <laughs> it tastes great. Oh, that the other delicious. thing the other thing that I've been getting into is I have a, a really great Thai friend who lives nearby. And she'll make for me um this uh this dish i guess it's probably the, the national probably the hot dog of thailand um but it's called tadman pla and basically it's okay. just fish cakes so i'll have her make tadman pla and then when she brings it over then what i'll do is i'll take the tadman pla and sort of it's already prepared now so it's got all the great spices now that she brings it over i'll then take it and sort of like chop it up put it in the in the um in in the um not the blender what's the other one that's better in the blender the food mixer you, you know uh, the vitamix yeah uh, you, you know the, the, one of those that it, thing it, 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 it sort of mixes it together the food the food chopper upper <laughs> yeah. 
and then uh, and I'll take that. And so now I have this wonderful sort of uh, grainy, almost type of um, uh, the equivalent of say uh, ground beef, except it's actually ground fish that's been flavored, prepared, and done, and it's loaded with flavor. So now you mix that with something else. And you have something that's out of this world. Now, the good thing is that your podcast, you're in England, so she doesn't know that I'm doing this to her top and blah. <laughs> I'll never admit to her that like you Sorry, went... do you know what I feel like is gonna happen here? <laughs> I feel like we could do like a Null Rogers cookbook. I feel like something's happening here. This is good. It's pretty good. I'm taking some of these recipes and I'm gonna like slightly remix remix them into my own little like I'm just gonna basically sample your food like everyone's been sampling your music. <laughs> I finished my interviews with a few quick fire questions. So my favorite snack in the entire world is a packet of crisps, which for you is a packet of chips. What's your favorite flavor of chips? Wow. Um, well, it wouldn't be. Uh, chips as you know them, it would be uh, Doritos. Do you, do you do you know Doritos? Because they're corn yeah. based. They're corn based as opposed to potato based. So I what like flavor. Um, the the like whatever the hottest one is. I think they make a jalapeno Doritos I now, know exactly. which I, I love. Know exactly. And and yeah. it's really a shame because on the airplane, that's like the thing they give you, and I eat them all. It's it's horrible because I'm a diabetic. I shouldn't touch that, but I can't help it. No, yeah. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Um, uh, I really hate to admit this. I, I really feel uncomfortable. But when I was a kid, uh, I was gigging in the Philippines. And the, uh, the manager of the hotel uh, took a liking to me. And he invited me over to his house to eat with his family. And they made a wonderful stew, and it was really delicious. And at the end of the day, they told me that it was dog. I was like, what? Oh, my God. What? What did it taste like? It tasted like stew. It was delicious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was delicious. I don't even know what to say. I mean, that is mad. I was horrified. Okay, I mean, I think I think you, you, you win the medal on that one. Okay. I'm looking forward to the next answer for the next question. What's your most memorable meal? Yeah, I, it's actually easy. It came, comes right to my head. Um, so I was with um, Andy Warhol. And either I was with Andy Warhol and Peter Gabriel. I'm not sure if Peter was part of it. I actually, The reason why Peter it gets confusing is because my first dinner with Peter Gabriel was exactly across the street from the restaurant that I was eating with in Andy Warhol. So that's why it's a little foggy. But I was with Andy Warhol and we were at this restaurant and um, uh, a girl named Nina Wong came and she was going out with one of the guys from The Clash. And we were all sitting at dinner and um, and this was the first time I told Andy Warhol that we had actually met before. And he was like, really? And I said, yeah, uh, I met you the night that you were shot and killed by Valerie Solanas. I had uh, taken a bad acid trip and I was in the emergency room 
And when I was in the emergency room and I was with the doctors and we were laughing and joking, it was like, you know, it was like a thing. We were having a really good time. And then all of a sudden they kicked me out. I was like, what's happening? They kicked me out and they wheeled in Andy Wall and he was all bloody. And, and I think when he first came in, he was in some kind of wheelchair and they moved him from a wheelchair onto a gurney and kicked me out and then just put me out in the waiting room. And I was sitting there and I was like, I've waited 20 years to tell you that I was really pissed off. And it, we had a great night. <laughs> and if you read his memoir, he was laughing. He thought it was hysterical. So if that you read his memoir, he talks about that night. He says, oh, tonight I had dinner with this really interesting gentleman named Nile Rogers. And he was a really fancy dresser, too. Or, or he was a really fine dresser. Or I something love like. that. I, I don't know why I got dressed up to have dinner with Andy Warhol, but I did. I mean, I'd get dressed up to have dinner with Andy Warhol. <laughs> what is your favorite food? There, there is no such thing. Uh, food, it's like my taste in music. It's, um, it changes all the time. Uh, I could easily say my favorite food was what I prepared for breakfast this morning, um, which was my food that's been decomposing on the counter for the last three or four days. I mixed the last batch of it this morning with spinach, uh, some veggies that I pulled out of the backyard, and uh, a, a lot of olive oil that's now sort of decomposing. The olives have start, started to become very glassine, and you can you know see through them yeah. all. And and I remember eating it. And uh, and I was talking to my girlfriend at the time, and I said, "This shit is delicious." <laughs> it sounds amazing. I'm actually going to start fermenting more things now that you've been talking about it. And finally, which I think is the most important question: live to eat or eat to live? Eat to live. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've really surprised me with that answer. Yeah, because um, my health is uh, even though I don't act like my health is fragile, I really do have to keep an eye on it. And right now, even at my age, my doctor said that I'm in the best condition of my life. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm like awesome. <laughs> He's, I was like, wow, man, your, your numbers are great. You look amazing. You're, you, you know, like you're not overweight. Your muscles are fantastic and blah, blah, blah. And, um, but that's because at a certain point in time, when I got sober, when I decided to get sober, there were so many things wrong with me health wise that I was always on the edge of death. And I decided, well, I don't really want to die now. I like playing music so much. I'd like to stick around. So I started to concentrate on things that progressively could make me healthier. And I thought about it. Well, it took me a long time to get into really bad shape. So it's probably going to take me a long time to get into pretty good shape. So um, at, uh, you've been to our concerts, right? You've been to at least one of our concerts. Been I mean, to a, I've been to about three. Right. Two or three. So I had to at least be 65 years old or 67. I, we were smoking, right? I, I put out... I. <laughs> I expend yeah. as much energy at 68 years old as I did when I was 18. It's, mm. it's the same to me. So I, I want to keep doing that until I'm no longer on this side of the dirt. 
So as long as I'm on this side of the dirt, I want to be the best I can be. What a way to end this chat on. Niall, you are the biggest pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. You have no idea. It's just adorable to see you. I miss you guys. I miss your family. We miss you too. I love, love your family. You guys are the cool, oh, coolest ever. That means a lot. And you are a you are gorgeous. You're a dream to me. You're lovely. You're, oh, you're lovely. Thank you, Niall. You're fabulous. <laughs> thank you, guys. You can follow Niall Rogers on social media at Niall Rogers. <laughs> wow, well, Until... that's easy. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Cool. That was good. Thank you for listening this week. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and leave a lovely review. And if you can't get enough of me, follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and do visit the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel where there are plenty of shows for you to watch. Until next time, bye.